Welcome to the RYR Endurance Team Podcast. We are grateful that you've chosen to tune in and listen. If you are a runner, aspiring runner, triathlete, or aspiring triathlete, you are in the right place. We love sharing what we know about these sports. If you like what you hear, you can always learn more by contacting us at ryrcoach at gmail.com or by visiting our website, ryrenduranceteam.com. Hey, if you enjoy our podcast, please do us a favor. Give us a five-star review and subscribe to our podcast. This helps others find us. Thanks for listening. Good evening, Paula. Well, hello, favorite husband of mine. I'm glad I'm your favorite. (laughs) Oh, yeah, you are my only, right? (laughs) For 35 years. Yep, it was a fun day, nice and relaxed. It was a very uneventful 35th wedding anniversary. It was, but we hung out with our three kids and Ellie Ann and my mom, so... It was nice. It was a good day. Relaxing. Today's been a good day, too. I've been excited all day about interviewing Craig Pfeiffer today. Yeah, I've been looking forward to it as well. Yep, so I'm excited about that. And you know what I did today for the first time since October of 2019? No, I don't. Well, you should know. I did a two a day. Oh, that's right. Well, I did know you did that. I just didn't realize it had been that long since you had done a two a day. It has been. I'm excited. I've signed up for the Carmel Marathon. So we've started my training block today. I did a nice hill workout this morning and then just a easiest pie 25 minute shakeout run this afternoon. Day one feels great. It's nice. And we've got several athletes who are participating in the Carmel, Indiana races. Marathon, half marathon, 10K, 5K. Yeah, it should be a fun day. It's going to be nice. That's April 3rd. If you're doing that race and you haven't booked a hotel, we found out today you better get on that. Yes. (laughs) That's all you have to say about that, huh? That's all I have to say. (laughs) Well, let's get Craig on the line and let's get started. Sounds great. We'd just like to welcome Craig Pfeiffer to our podcast. He's the CEO of Rehabilitation and Performance Institute, or RPI for short, but he's so much more than that to Dean and me. He's not only our physical therapist, but he's become a great friend. And you've helped us get to the starting line several times. That's right. <laughs> it's always been a pleasure. Yeah. So how are you doing today? I'm, I'm doing very well. Great. So let's just start off by having you tell us a little bit about yourself, your family, and your athletic background. All right. Uh, so I'm married to another physical therapist. My wife is, uh, she works a little bit for RPI. She's also a professor in the physical therapy department at the University of Evansville. So I am like not even the best physical therapist in my own family. <laughs> we have three kids. They are four, seven, and nine, and they're wonderful. And from an athletic background, I guess I'd say I've always enjoyed competition and, and the element of, of satisfaction and accomplishment you get from just doing something really hard. And, and whether it's even just making it to the finish line in some of these cases or making it to the starting line in some of these cases is, is really, really hard, let alone the finish line. I guess kind of built that in college where I played basketball at the University of Evansville. I certainly was not good enough to be playing basketball after the University of Evansville, so I decided to take on some other athletic endeavors and did uh, several, I honestly don't really know the number, several um, shorter triathlons 
And I think I've done six or seven half marathons and I've enjoyed, uh, enjoyed all that. And I guess more recently to keep competing against myself while I get a little bit less time with the kids being at a really, really great age and they start doing their own sports and get in their own activities, obviously, you know, not so much in a pandemic, but so I've kind of been investing time into just shorter races and, and building, building more speed, things that I have, don't have to put quite as much time into. It seems like you had a friendly competition with a coworker. What was that? Uh, no competitions are friendly with, uh, with Kevin Brown. <laughs> so we, <laughs> we had a, uh, a half marathon that we decided to, uh, you know, that we, we both would enjoy it more if we could make fun of each other along the way and poke fun at each other, just kind of make it a, make it a competition. And I, I can't even say that I won because Kevin got hurt like at the worst possible time, like two or three weeks before. And I actually think that, you know, I, I, I beat him in that race, but since then Kevin has run a better time than I ever put out. So you could argue that, that, uh, that Kevin would have been the winner of that, but I will probably never let him believe that. We, we may just edit that out of the podcast. So he never hears that. No. Yeah. We'll, we'll have to just, we'll have to take that out. <laughs> so even physical therapists get injured sometimes. Oh my gosh. Yeah. We, we are, we are some of the worst at, at terms of understanding our own limits. Uh, like one of the things that I, I advise people is if you're going to go through this process, you know, exactly what you guys do. Like it's, it's good to have a coach. Because I even know the stupid things I shouldn't be doing, but it doesn't mean I don't do them. So um, there's an element of, of, of coaching makes everybody better and smarter. And I know anytime I've used a, a coach for a race that I was better and smarter when I did. We couldn't agree more. <laughs> <laughs> so tell us just a little bit about your education background and how you started your business and a little bit about your physical therapy services. So... I uh, got a physical therapy degree and about two years into that process of being a physical therapist. Now I've been out of school for, wow, um, 13, 14 years. And a couple of years in is when you start to see a lot of physical therapists, like my classmates who were, who were getting burnt out and they were getting frustrated with, uh, most of it was their employers of, you know, I really want to be able to pay really great attention to the person in front of me, but you're making me see two, three, four people at a time. And I can't really do a great job for any of them when I'm doing that. And I started to see like, we had some really great clinical skills. We were able to help people, but from a business standpoint, you're, you're we were putting physical therapists as, as an entire profession in a position where they couldn't be successful with patients, because if you're going to provide individualized care, you actually have to be able to listen to somebody as you're, as you're going through that process. So about two years in is when I started to say that I need any actually better business knowledge if I'm going to help people. So I went back and I got a master's in health administration degree. And that's part of what had led to uh, starting our own practice, having the desire to say that we think physical therapy can be an incredibly powerful thing, and, uh, but only about 10% of people who would benefit from getting PT actually ever get it. And part of that reason is because there's a lot of people who do get it and they go and they just don't think it's a great experience where there's, you know, maybe the therapist is working with a couple other people at the same time. Maybe they don't feel like it's personalized. Maybe they feel like it was just too expensive for, for what they got out of it, you know? And that's, a, that's been a big problem in our profession. But I thought those were problems we could all solve. 
And that led to the creation of RPI. And I'm just one of the owners of RPI. We actually have nine owners and people who, who feel the same way I do about physical therapy. And we've been going for, this is our fifth year now. So things are going very, very well. And we're, we're thrilled with, and hopefully that people feel like we're, we're helping make communities you know, healthier and happier. How many locations do you have now? We have six. So two in Illinois, two in Indiana, two in Kentucky. Okay. Well, we're blessed in our hometown to have one in our hometown. It's awesome. I know we can speak firsthand to say we have had nothing but great care there. Well, thank you. That's certainly what we aim for. <laughs> so I know it's been a little bit of a challenge, especially with health care, but really all small businesses with the, the pandemic, the COVID-19. Talk a little bit about how you guys adjusted and maybe a little bit about hashtag what you can. Yeah. Yeah. So you guys have met fortunately most of the people um, on our team, at least in, in, in Owensboro. And I've got a lot of incredible people. And when it started to look like that this was happening and that even we were shut down in Kentucky for about a month, that it wasn't anybody, you know, saying, oh, this, what was me? You know, what are we going to do? How are we going to do this? It was instant, just kind of people came together. And we had never done a telehealth appointment as a company in our entire history. And in four days, our team basically built a comprehensive telehealth program that we're really proud of. And we went from doing zero telehealth appointments to I think we've done, I think like 700 this year. Wow. Now, and uh, all because we, we, knew we had all these people who were depending on us to, to get back, you know, recovered, to do whatever they need to do. Some of them had just had like a surgery recently and were at home getting tight and stiff. And we had to figure something out quickly. And we just had a lot of people who, who made that happen. So that's probably the big business changes. We added telehealth to something we do. And what we found is it works best when you, when you integrate telehealth into the in-person care in that if I know somebody really well, like I know the two of you really well, I already have an idea of what's going to, what you're probably going to respond to and what's going to go pretty well. And you already know a little bit of the things that I'm looking at too, and the things that I want to see. And that makes telehealth sessions go really, really smoothly. (laughs) Absolutely. So Our listeners can't see what I'm doing, but I'm doing a motion of something he always asks me to do when I come in. (laughs) And she always does it so, so well. Uh Um, He's always looking at me like, what? (laughs) (laughs) The second thing is is the what you can piece was something that we came out with as a group. And we decided that there are going to be all sorts of of challenges for people, not just from a health perspective, but from a finance perspective, that how many many patients we saw who lost their insurance coverage because they lost their job during the course of care, or all of a sudden were you know, teaching their kids at home on top of working, on top of trying to do something else, you know, train for something or, or just kind of be healthy in general. And we decided that, you know, we can't do everything and, and be everything, but we can all do something. And we're just going to focus on, you know, doing what we can to the best of our ability. And one of our, our therapists said, you know, maybe that's like, it's, it's what you can. And one of the things that we could do is we could say physical therapy is just, we're gonna make it what you can afford. On every statement we sent out to patients, 
for that period of time, they all just basically said, just basically, we understand that not everybody's in a great situation right now. And that all of the things we're doing, it's just based on what you can afford. And what you can afford is, is what you tell us it is. Mm-hmm. It's not what we tell you. It's if, if you get a bill for, you know, $400 for physical therapy and you say you can pay us $20 and you can pay us $20, that's okay. We'll take whatever, whatever you can do. And over the course of the year, I think we ended up writing off something like $14,000 for people who, who needed to continue to get care, but lost their insurance coverage or their ability to pay. And there's some really cool things that came to that of just seeing like, that's, that's really hard when I talk with our billing department, as far as like, Hey, here's what we want to do. We want to give everybody the ability to pay whatever they want. And you have to have a phone call with every single person who has a question about what that means. And that's a really hard thing to do in our entire billing department. It's just like, Oh, we think this is a great idea. We're, we're absolutely on board with that. Like when you have a team full of people that you can say, I'm about to make your life way harder. And they're just like, yeah, let's do that. Well, it just goes so well with even the core of how your business got started is, you know, you guys got together because you just really cared about and wanted to customize treatment for each patient. And you you took this a step uh, further to help them through some financial struggles as well. So it's just amazing to me. So it's not just the frontline workers. It's everybody in the organization. Oh yeah. Everybody was on board with that. And it was, it was so cool. Like that's, you hate to say that like, there's, there's things that you're grateful for in a pandemic, I guess, or there's things that, but there's elements of seeing people and the way they came together in this, that was really inspiring. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Paul and I have been patients of yours for several years. And one of the techniques you've used on us is dry needling. Yes. <laughs> I'm not a big fan of needles. I don't know if you've ever noticed, but I always keep my eyes closed. It's <laughs> a good strategy in general. I think it hurts less that way. (laughs) Well, just tell us a little bit about dry needling and what it is and how it's beneficial. Yeah. yeah. So um, dry needling is a relatively new in the world of of orthopedic care and and physical therapy. Most people have probably at least heard of it now. We have a lot of therapists who we probably started doing it the first time, I don't know, like I guess seven, seven years ago or so. But what it is, and the reason it's called dry needling is because it is a filament needle. There is no, there's no syringes. There's no medication being delivered, which would be like a wet needle if there's medication being delivered. So there's no, no hole in this needle to deliver medication. You could actually fit probably dozens of these needles inside of a needle you're getting an injection with. So it's a thin filament needle. And what you're doing is you're inserting the, the needle into a specific spot in a specific muscle. And the goal is, in general, to change the tone of that muscle. And what I mean by tone is that every muscle, we, we tend to think about things as like they're a light switch, a muscle's on or a muscle's off. And that's not the way our muscles actually work. A muscle is always kind of on, or sometimes it's really on. So it's kind of like a dimmer switch instead of a light switch. And sometimes that dimmer switch is inappropriately turned up or inappropriately turned down. And when it's inappropriately turned up, that's the time where you just feel like a muscle is tight all the time. Um, You just can't get something to move like it should. And we need to bring it back down to the level it should be at. And I think we've all felt that, like a cramp would be an example of that, where a muscle is inappropriately on way too much. 
It's not that it shouldn't be on at all, it's that we need to, to turn that dimmer switch down a little bit. And what that needle does is it basically helps provide your nervous system with information that says, hey, this muscle right here, this is, this is not the way this should be. And when you're, when you're being dry needle, you'll feel that in the form of some twitches of the muscle as, as your nervous system kind of responds to everything going on. And then at the end of it, you might have some soreness and a little bit of pain, but that muscle should feel like it's more relaxed. Yeah, I know it's worked well for me. Definitely. Yeah. So yeah. on a related topic, who has the higher pain tolerance, me or Paula? Ah, oh, Dean, uh, I don't know that you want to do this. <laughs> um, no, I, I feel like I feel like all three of us know it's Paula, right? Yes, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but but here's the thing: like you think yours is low, it's not. I think yours is really high. I think Paula's is just borderline superhero. Um, <laughs> yeah. So like superhero. I think you're both doing great. <laughs> so. Yeah, it seems like the first time I came to you and we were discussing dry needling that, and you can you can tell me what you actually said, but it seems like I remember that this concept kind of evolved from when people were getting injections, they actually found out that those needle sticks may be creating more or contributing more to the cure than the actual medication. Yeah, yeah. So I listened. Uh, I I have, yeah, you, that's incredible because this has been this has been years now. So I don't know if have you guys ever had a trigger point injection back in the day? I don't know that I have. I've had it's a PRP not, injection. It wasn't, done, <laughs> it wasn't done a ton, but it used to be a um, a relatively common when people would get these you know trigger points uh, in their muscles, like these painful spots, that um, a doctor would go in and inject uh, some medication into that spot, and at some point, this is, I think, in the mid-90s, they were doing research on this because they wanted to compare uh, one medication to another. And anytime you're going to do a medical research study, you'd also like something that is going to compare it to nothing at all or a placebo, something that is kind of a, a sham intervention that's not really delivering medication at all. And through this study, what they actually found was if we elicit that twitch response, that having no medication at all is every bit as effective as the trigger point injections. So if we can use a smaller needle and we don't have to mess with injecting medication that does have consequences, it kind of like cortisone shots have consequences to them. If we don't have to mess with injecting things into people's muscles that have consequences to doing that, why don't we just skip that part altogether and just use the needle? Because it's kind of a nervous system reset going in there is just it's, it's again, it's changing that dimmer switch. It's kind of like hitting a reset button for your nervous system that you don't need the medication at all. But yeah, Paul, I am impressed. Nobody listens to me that well. <laughs> Superhero and a great memory. <laughs> well, you know, I try to learn all I can, so I don't know. So for our listeners, if there's anyone out there listening and they're having a niggle or an ache or pain, what would be your advice on saying, okay, here's when you need to see, go see a doctor. Here's when it's more beneficial to come to a physical therapist. Like how should someone make that decision? I tell you what, like I, I will tell you how we make that decision in, in our family because my, uh, my sister who lives in, in the same town I do, uh, she is a wonderful family physician, smartest person I know. So 
90% of the time with things going on with our family, we are the ones calling her for advice. Hey, there's this rash on my kid's arm. Do I need to take them to a pediatrician? You know, like, even because I'm a wimp, like, hey, the, what's going on with me? Like, I've got this, you know, stomach thing. Like, should I see somebody for that? So we're calling her for advice on so many different topics. When it comes to musculoskeletal, bone, muscle, anything going on with that, they call us. So that's, that's the way that I recommend people do it, is physical therapists are really specifically trained and we know it as well as, as the only people who test higher than physical therapists on orthopedic tests are orthopedic surgeons. Mm -hmm. So physical therapists, it's what we do. If you have bone, muscle, joint, ache, or pain, it's best to start with a physical therapist. And then you guys um, would recognize if it's something structural that needs an orthopedic surgeon. Yeah, exactly. And that's, that's something we're very much trained to do. Right. And the other, the other benefit to doing that is let's say that you have lower back pain. When you start your care with a physical therapist, that ends up saving you between one or one and $2,000 because PTs can find that route to go. Surgery is not an option for us, right? So it's not something that we're, we're ever going to recommend that first unless we see an issue that we'd say, okay, you definitely need to go see an orthopedic surgeon. But because people don't end up, uh, they end up avoiding surgery and things like, you know, addictive pain medications that mostly just mask the problem anyway, that when you start with a PT, you end up saving about uh, $2,000 if, if you just have, you know, lower back pain. So if there's something like, I, I think you guys have both been through things that have been serious enough that there was no doubt you knew you needed to see an orthopedic surgeon right away, right? Um, most people know, like if, if you're having like a repetitive stress injury or a running injury, like if you can go out and run and it just hurts, you probably need to start with a physical therapist. If you are thinking like, I can't, you know, I fell and I might have broken my hip. I hit a deer. Yeah. I hit a deer on a bike. Deer or a deer ran into you while riding a while riding a bike, that's usually a good time to start with an orthopedic surgeon. <laughs> yeah, if you, if you need to ride in an ambulance, you probably need to see a doctor. Yeah, yeah. And physical therapists, you know, we uh, at all of our offices, we work with different, different physicians, different orthopedic surgeons, and we have good relationships that we can even say, not only should you go see an orthopedic surgeon, but for the issue you're dealing with, I would go see this specific orthopedic surgeon. Okay. And so as far as, because we work with triathletes and distance runners, as far as swimmers, cyclists, and runners, what are the most common injuries that you treat? Good question. So for, for swimmers, it is uh, shoulders, back, and neck. And shoulders probably wouldn't be terribly surprising. Um, in that swimming position, so specifically, obviously, we're, you know, get that, that arm all the way up over your head. And that pull from there, your shoulder is maxed out in mobility and you're having to do something really hard at the very end range of your motion. So that's why we typically see a lot of shoulder pain in swimmers is you're working really hard at the very extreme of your range of motion. For cyclists, it's neck and back more than anything. You'll see some, you know, some knee and some hip things with cyclists, but it's largely neck and back issues. And a lot of that's just positioning you get to working really really hard down an arrow and, and you get 
to where it, it's beneficial to be there and be comfortable there for a long period of time. But your spine usually doesn't have too much more flex in it than you do when you're an arrow, right? right? So you're working at the end range of motion for your body, that extreme range of motion for a long time. Obviously, some of these long rides, you know, two, three, four hours in cases, you know, I think uh, we have a, a therapist who loves riding his bike. And I think he did like six century rides this year. That's a lot of time in, uh, in that position. So that's why neck and back are the big ones for cyclists. For runners, it is the most common ones are knee and lower leg, but you still see some hip and, and lower back issues there. So you see, you know, in terms of lower leg, that's the, the foot pain, the Achilles tendonitis, the plantar fasciitis. There's a lot of different little causes of knee pain that are all fairly similar in runners. And then again, a little bit of, a little bit of hip and back stuff too. Well, as far as treatments go, we talked a little bit about dry needling. What are some of the other ways that you treat people who have injuries? The big thing in endurance athletes is that nobody wants to miss time. Everybody wants to be out there as fast as possible. And that's an incredibly reasonable thing. So the, the most, this probably sounds sounds silly or cliche, but the most important thing we can do from a treatment aspect is listen. That in general, if, if you give somebody the time to explain what's going on, why it's going on, you can ask some really good questions and you become, you know, like a team with that person you're treating. That's how you get to those, you know, most people will tell you <laughs> what you need to do. Like it, it can be brought up through that conversation where it'll become really obvious if you give somebody the time to listen, but there's some, there's some research that the, the average doctor interrupts a patient after 18 seconds of saying what's going on with them. That's just not nearly enough time to really know the person. So there's all these tools like dry needling and these different things we can apply, but it only works if we're applying it to the right area in the right way. And every pain has a what's happening and a why it's happening. So often, like we have a lot of people who have foot pain when they're running, you know, plantar fasciitis is incredibly common, right? But 80% of cases of it recur. And the reason it recurs is because we're, we've gotten really good at treating what is going on and that your the muscles in the bottom of your foot tighten up, they get painful. So we stretch them, we ice them, we roll things on them, we do all that stuff. But we never addressed why it was happening in the first place. Why did those muscles of your foot tighten up so much? What's going on? up the chain at your knee, at your hip, at your back, that your foot was working disproportionately hard in the running process. And that's the kind of things that we, we need to listen to somebody and really provide personalized care and an individualized program to figure out why that's happening in you, you know, you, Dean, and why it might be happening in you, Paula. It could be two totally different reasons. I know when I've visited you a few times, I don't remember particular injuries, but I'd come in for a, a leg pain and you would determine that I've got tightness in my neck and give me neck exercises and then some core exercises and everything's connected. Mm -hmm. And if one thing's not working right, it causes side effects elsewhere. I know even today, I still do some of those same exercises more on a, for preventative reasons now but it's just uh, amazing how you can find the, uh, the right spots, even if they're not where that pain is at, to, uh, to help relieve the pain and prevent it from coming back. Yeah. I know. Uh, 
Go ahead. Oh, you go ahead. When I first came into your office, the, my first experience with dry needling was in the sole of my foot, like because my which is terrible. I, was, I genuinely feel bad about that. That's a tough spot. <laughs> it didn't. It didn't hurt. <laughs> it was fine. Superhero. But you said even then that you were eventually because you noticed almost immediately that I carry all my tension in my shoulders and upper body. So you treated the pain in my foot, but you said I'm eventually going to make it up to your back and shoulders to mm -hmm. fix the problem. And I still to this day, like from the last time I visited you, it's fortunately I haven't had to come in a, in a little bit because I've been doing well, yeah. but I've just been religious in those upper back stretches that you've given me and the bird dogs. So I know that those are two things that <laughs> really help me with prevention. But I was just wondering in general, because I think prevention is always a better strategy than having to recover an ounce of prevention's <laughs> worth a pound of cure, right? Absolutely. So, do you have any suggestions like that would be general for all listeners as far as avoiding injury to begin with? I think there's one key and you guys know this as well. It, and it, I feel like I'm just saying a lot of things that people don't want to hear and I apologize, but patience is a big one in that we all want to be as fit as possible as soon as possible. And it, it takes consistency as much as anything. And you have to, to design something that you can, can do and design something that you can also recover from. So it's one thing if you can find the time to, to run for an hour and a half or an hour every day. But if it means instead of sleeping eight hours a night, you're going to sleep six and a half, you've got a plan that doesn't work. And that you would be better off saying like, I can still sleep eight hours a night if I can run for a half hour, because you can maintain that. And that can be built upon, and then you can kind of find other elements of your life that you might not be as interested in that you can kind of trim down so you can train more if you want to. So patience is, is a really, really important one. The next one I would say is, is having a team of people around you, whether it's your family support. I've already talked about, like, I think coaching is incredibly important. I think that just like you have a relationship with a family doctor, if you're going to take on any kind of endurance endeavor, you need to have a relationship with a musculoskeletal care expert. And obviously I, I think that should be a physical therapist, but somebody you can go to who you can say, Hey, in fall of 2021, I want to do a half marathon and I want to be as healthy as I can through this process. And I want to make it to the starting line, finish line. Here's my goal. What do I need to do from a musculoskeletal health perspective to make that happen? And just, it might even be just one time you're going in there and you're talking with a PT about how can I make this happen? Preferably it's somebody you already know that can, knows a little bit about your body, what works for you, what doesn't work for you and can help you be a part of your team and that you can ask questions to if you're not sure if something's a good idea. So, and even if better if that person is kind of working with your coach to say, how, how do we make this happen? So from a planning standpoint and from a, from a team standpoint, that's how I'd go about it. Otherwise, the recovery is very important, the sleeping, the eating well. And I, yeah, I'm sure we don't have time to go into, go into details of what eating well looks like, but I think we all kind of have a, have a better idea. And, and some of us, you know, we don't always do it, but we have an idea of what it is, getting adequate amounts of sleep. And, and then I could, could go into, do, do, are you wanting like, are there specific exercises? 
Right like that? That's where I was going to go next is, okay. do you have some favorite exercises? And obviously you can't demonstrate those, but you could provide the name or maybe just a, a brief idea of what those look like. Yeah. And if anybody needs things, uh, we actually, Rehabilitation Performance Institute has a YouTube channel. And I think we have, it's like 200 videos up of different exercises. Yeah, even a few um, full exercise routines are on there. Yeah, we um, can add that link to our show notes. Yeah. So if, if I'm saying something and uh, you're not following it or you're not exactly sure that you're doing it well or right, uh, the video is there at, at our Rehabilitation Performance Institute YouTube page. So I like to, with endurance athletes, do we call fill some of the buckets that they're not getting from their training so I don't need to give anybody who's an endurance athlete anything that's going to be aimed at improving their cardiovascular health. Their training does that, you know. But there are a few things in training for endurance events that it doesn't touch on as much. And some of that would be, you know, strength would be one. Flexibility, mobility would be one. And even just moving your body in some different ways. So one of the things about swimming and cycling and running is those are all straightforward things. You move your body in one direction and it's forward, whether you're swimming, you're on a bike. Well, hopefully I swim sideways a lot, but hopefully, you know, if you're somebody who's good at this, like you guys are, you generally swim forward. So I like to give people some exercises that are going to be slightly different in terms of making them bear some weight on their arms, as opposed to, you know, all their weight on their legs, like Paula mentioned earlier, a bird dog, I think is a great, great exercise done well with a really, really long straight spine. So not letting your lower back dip down, not letting your belly button sink down toward the floor and keeping your spine long and straight as you're doing a bird dog. And that's a common exercise. If anybody's not familiar with, you can, you can look up the video of some other things I like are like a lateral, a lunge to the side and stepping back in. And one of the reasons I like that is because it hits two buckets. One is the strength training bucket that a lot of endurance athletes need. The other is it's moving in a different plane. So moving to the side, instead of going straight forward, it makes your body work a little differently. It's going to hit a few muscle groups that you're not going to get in your normal training. So those would be a couple examples. I don't want to load things down too much, but if I were giving like a third one, because I know endurance athletes love to do core training, almost anybody I talk to like, they don't love lifting weights. They don't love doing that, but they, they do hit core workouts, which is great. Anybody who likes to do that stuff, that's awesome. One thing I would say is that I generally find endurance athletes do exercises that are way harder. And I see this in youth cross country programs, people doing exercises that are way harder than what they're capable of. They're doing like really hard planks in different ways, but they can't keep their lower back from sagging down to the, to the floor. And if you're not feeling like your core is working really, really hard when you're doing a plank, you're not doing the plank right. It should be working pretty hard from the very beginning. You shouldn't feel your low back sinking down. So the alternative I like to any kind of planking is actually called a dead bug. And it's where you lie down on your back and your goal is to keep every vertebrae you have touching the ground as you do it. Maybe with the exception at your upper part of your neck but keep all of your vertebrae touching the ground and you're going to start with your knees up, your arms straight up toward the ceiling and you're going to go out straight with one leg 
and with the opposite arm. And as you do that, you're gonna notice, especially your lower back wants to pop up off the floor. Don't let it. And you go out as straight as you can with your leg and your arm before your lower back pops up off the floor. And I'm telling you, for some of you, that is gonna be almost immediate. When you feel that, you'll know it, just believe it that, that you probably don't have as good a core control as you thought you did and that you just can't go very far. But eventually you'll get to where you can do a full, full dead bug, your leg all the way, arm out, your leg all the way out, your arm all the way out and kind of hovering over the ground and then switching from arm to leg. And the reason it's called a dead bug is because as you're switching your arm and arms and legs, you look like you're a bug lying on its back. I thought not, you were saying bug. Yeah, that's a good name. So, so those would be three good, good exercises for, for people to hit. Yep. All right. That's great. So I know we've talked about triathletes and endurance runners. What other, for listeners who maybe aren't into those sports, what other common injuries do you guys treat? Other than accidents. Yeah. Yeah. So the, the majority of what we treat would be, you know, the, the run of the mill, what you'd call like repetitive strain issues or kind of like these, these, uh, uh, these micro trauma things. And, you know, for physical therapy, the biggest two across the board are, are neck and back pain. Mm-hmm. Um, we all know somebody who has you know, persistent lower back pain. We all know somebody who has persistent neck pain or somebody who has, you know, daily headaches and those kind of things. And a lot of those people have no idea that, that physical therapy is probably the answer to help them with those things. But those are the big three. And after that, you'd go to knee and shoulder issues. Those are, and then foot. Those are the, you know, the, the hierarchy of the things you see most commonly in physical therapy. At RPI, because we are, we're not affiliated with any surgeon's office or anything like that, we don't see actually as much of the post-operative stuff. We see a lot of it, you know, people who had surgery or people who had some kind of trauma. For the most part, our goal is to keep people from needing surgery. Life's always better when you're not laid out for, you know, for three to six months because you had a rotator cuff repair or, you know, a a knee surgery or whatever. So most of the stuff we see is non-operative. The biggest cases being any kind of spine pain and uh, then, you know, shoulder, knee, and foot. So we always like to share a, a scripture as part of our podcast. And Paula came up with a great one for this episode. It's Proverbs 18.24, which says, A man of many companions may come to ruin, but there's a friend who sticks closer than a brother. And some other translations say it's slightly different. A man that hath friends must show himself friendly, and there's a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. And I'm just going to have to say, Craig has sticketh to me more than anybody with those dry needles. So we're talking about a good friend and sticking. But anyway, it reminds me of, of our relationship with you. But anyway, what this scripture is really trying to say is it's necessary to be friendly in order to have friends. And it's important to choose your friends wisely, especially those with electric needles. <laughs> we appreciate you, man. Uh, it's, it's always my pleasure uh, getting to talk to you guys, hang out. I, I've, I've enjoyed every second of it. Us right. too. So again, this is Craig Pfeiffer with RPI. Craig, we thank you for joining us. We've had fun. You've provided a lot of good information 
And I think it'll be very valuable to our listeners. Paula Dean, thank you guys so much. Yeah, thanks a lot, Craig. Bye-bye. Bye. Hey, if you'd like to become a part of the conversation or if you have topics you'd like us to address in future podcasts or if you just have questions about endurance sports, look us up on Facebook, RYR Endurance Team, and we'll let you in our closed group. At RYR Endurance Team, we specialize in customized coaching. What is customized coaching? It's more than a training plan. It's a relationship. It's a partnership. So what are your goals? What are you training for? Contact us at ryrcoach at gmail.com or visit us on our website, ryrenduranceteam.com. Hey, if you enjoy our podcast, please do us a favor. Give us a five-star review and subscribe to our podcast. This helps others find us. Thanks for listening.